drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. Hey, hey, it's Drive-By Cinema episode 29. Here with your host, Paul, is me, Rick. Hello, Paul. Hello. Hello, Richard. You're the other host to this podcast. (laughs) Are you aping my style? My staccato introduction style? No. No, it's a genuine brain injury. Look, now, welcome, everybody. Once again, we have no special guests this week. Promise we'll try and get someone more interesting than either of us. For another episode, yes. Stop with us. Can we? Can I just stop press here? Like, I think in last week's podcast, we said that Seinfeld was only American funny. Yeah, I said that. Uh, that's you my did, and I agree with you. Funny. But I have to apologise to our good friend, listen, Jolian, because that's not true. Yeah, it's not true. Seinfeld is American funny, and it's also funny for Filipinos who wear American baseball jackets. <laughs> so, is this apologies. a demographic you're familiar with? Yes, apologies. Some other people, a, a small, a small demographic, find Seinfeld funny outside of the US. So there we go. Last week's movie was supposedly all about COVID. COVID twenty three, as we said. Oh and yeah. We talked a lot last week about mask wearing, but I don't think they wore masks in that. Movie. They didn't. That's the weird thing. That's how we know it was made in March, I think, rather than April. It's because they weren't wearing masks. They wore, like, space spacesuits. Maybe when that guy went out. He burned his clothes when he came back anyway. Although he had been having... He was a rich guy. He could do that. That's true. He had a fire pit in his back garden. Oh, fire. But we're not, we're not talking about COVID specifically or directly in this week. Uh, in this week's movie. No, but they do wear masks. They, they do. do. Wear masks it's during COVID, yeah. It's during COVID. And the movie we're watching is, of course, House in Sherwood 2020. Yeah. That means the music's here. Yeah, so House in Sherwood. How can how am I gonna segue into this? Let me let me introduce the movie for everybody by, by talking about Sheilaism. Are you aware of the term Sheilaism, Richard? I thought you were gonna talk about Karenism, because the character is called Karen. Characters is actually and Karen, Karen just Karenism just blew up this year, didn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, let's go on to Karen. She's a, she is a Karen, though, isn't she? She is movie? a bit of a Karen, yeah. I, I, well, I'm low to say that because I, I don't think it's fair on people called Karen. It wasn't their choice, was it? No. I mean, our names are very rarely our choice. Yeah. So, but Unless, I mean, people the, in the Far East choose their Western name, don't they? They do. Only if they're slightly crazy. Oh. Well, I mean, some people work in a bilingual environment and, of course, you know, it's like... Uh, like when I teach, I think you just showed me a video, you know, when a teacher goes into a class of black kids and, and can't pronounce the black names, you know, it's it's embarrassing, isn't it? I mean, if a black teacher... You were just watching a Key and, a key and Peel right, sketch yeah. about the substitute teacher. And he swaps it around, you know, if a black guy, if a black teacher came into a, a classroom of white kids who couldn't pronounce their names, we'd be saying, hey, who is this lame guy? You know, get him out of the profession. But it's something that we white people do well. And I think when we go to work in the half and half environment in Asia where it's, you know, half the people are, are, are expats and half the people are local, there's kind of an assumption to do with privilege that you have to, you locals have to make yourself understandable to us, and that includes names, yeah. So I can understand why those people do it, why, why you know, why they choose 
a Western name. And of course, some of them want a Western name and look up to those kind of cultures. But then there's another set of people who just have a Western name and and have a personality that goes with it. And they don't work with Westerners and they've never met a Westerner. And they just study English at night. For what reason? Well, fair enough. But it's when you discover they've got this whole alter ego that's become a real ego and it's all tied to speaking English and all tied to having that Western name. And often the, the girls that do this, it always ends in Y. The name always ends in Y. So I can't explain that anymore. Sort of a cultural identity crisis that they're having. Yeah. But it's only brought to my attention because I was working with a Korean... I was working with the Ministry of Education in Korea and my co-worker, because you're paired with a Korean teacher... Uh, she was, she'd done a lot of, she was very highly educated as Korean teachers are. And they do like a judge's circuit. They change schools every three years, you know. It's like a huge turntable. Like judges do a circuit in other countries. Teachers in Korea just, they just, they're like superstars, you know. They go from school to school to school every three years. But she had a PhD in children's nursery rhymes. So she, she was a very educated Korean woman. And she was like saying, you know, this teacher and that teacher and that teacher who I've worked with, she, they're, they're all completely nuts, you know. I was like, what do you mean? She was like, well, <laughs> you know, the way they take on these stupid English names and, like, they're not completely different people when they speak English, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, I thought, God, she's right. You said, you know, these kids too, you know, these ones that have chosen, that always, that won't use their Korean name. Because we had, like, little name, you know, you make the Toblerone where you have your name, name in English. And then a drawing that you like to do. You can switch it around, you know. Some of them would always have their English name up and wouldn't reply to their career name. Just like, you know. And these teachers are making these kids crazy about this stuff too. We've got to stop him. So she instigated a whole a, a ruling around the school where they could only use their Korean names in English class, which I thought was pretty healthy, you know. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, immersion language teaching is not a thing that's ever happened in British education system at all. Uh, it's, I mean... I, in a way, we still teach foreign languages like from the late nineteenth century in this country. It's, it's fairly amazing how very little oral practice or pair work or student taught time is done in language classrooms here. And so, it would be even rarer here, to, you know, to have teachers insisting that you don't call yourself your own name but choose a foreign name to refer to yourself. Happened to me once with one teacher. I was called Guy. I had to call myself Guy. <laughs> G-U-Y in French lessons. I found it very strange. But well, it's, in, in, in Asia, it's common practice to force kids to take on this other identity that they don't have. You know, it's a very strange thing to do. Hmm. It's slave boat stuff, essentially, isn't it, when we think about it? All of which has got very little to do with this Fuck film. But you were with... talking about something called Sheilaism. Yes. Oh, God. I really do have brain fog. Okay, so Sheilaism. You were saying, is it Karenism? That's how we got onto this name. Well, what is Karenism? Well, there's a character called Karen, but we'll get onto that. But Karenism, I guess, is being vindictive and small-minded about things that aren't necessarily important. Important. And using your age and social status and potentially racial identity as a means of putting your point across those petty points across in a most forceful and less tolerant way, if we could roughly surmise Karenism. But I don't think it represents the majority of people of that age, gender, or race in any shape or, or name. form. Or name. Or name. Particularly, particularly name. In, a, in any case, 
it's become a very lazy meme, and I'm 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 I'm, I'm just not a fan of it. And, and so much of it now is recreated Karenism. So like on Facebook, Facebook you'll get like people setting up Karen scenes that never really occurred. Uh, sure, yeah, yeah, it's just become so lazy. But anyway, Sheilaism is the idea. It was coined in the eighties. Is the idea that the kind of magpie jackdaw approach to spirituality or religion is where you know you take a bit of that one you take a bit of this one take a bit of this one and you make religion or spirituality almost like your personal fitness class you know it's an individual thing it's it's about satisfying you and potentially your ego hence you know calling it sheilaism is the idea that if you're going to be spiritual it can't be about satisfying yourself you might get satisfaction eventually, but it's not through seeking to satisfy yourself that spiritual matters will do that. That's generally accepted practice around all religions around the world, isn't it? You know, major religions is that to seek something high, you can't seek to satisfy yourself, first of all. But anyway, Sheilaism was particularly pertinent with the people from Heaven's Gate. You know Heaven's Gate? Yes. You know no, Jonestown. No. You, know, you know Jonestown, don't you? You know, the drinking from the Kool-Aid. Similar. Yeah. Heaven's Gate was somehow more terrifying, I think. Well, the interesting thing about Jonestown is, and I put you on to that podcast transmission. Well, they weren't Sheilaists, were they? Well, it wasn't the 80s, you know. It wasn't about picking and choosing. Yeah. They were pretty much communist Christians, weren't they? Or that, That's right. That was that's the idea behind it. More, more political than religious. Mm. In fact, religion didn't start off very important, I think. I think it was more, mostly a political move. Yeah. I think religion got tied up there as part of a way of selling it in, in, in a way, I think. So anyway, That's... Heaven's Gate. What, what what terrified me was how attractive their logo is. Oh, beautiful! <laughs> what good graphic design! Really good graphic design. I would like if you could take the best of Star Wars and the best of computer game logos. They did it, you know. So and then it, and you think, wow, it's going to be really cool. What is it? Some sort of really cool thing? And it's not. It's it's a bunch of really crazed people. But what's interesting about them is, is it was a Sheilaist philosophy, you know. They just picked and chose and got them to, you know, all, all wore the same tracksuits. And it was very much about, well, it wasn't about any overriding belief. Uh, it was more about, you know, how does spirituality fit into my fitness class and my health food and that kind of stuff. Sheilaism was all that stuff that was coming out of the West Coast in the early 80s. Uh, and Heaven's Gate latched onto that. So why am I talking about Heaven's Gate and Sheilaism? The idea of personal yes, spirituality. Well, it's because the lead character, Angela, is a psychic. No, she's not a psychic. She says, I'm not a psychic. Uh, I'm not a fortune teller. I am a medium. But she's very much a Sheilaist medium. You know, she. It's 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 not really clear what she's talking about or how she's communing with the spirits but nonetheless she does and she streams it live on Facebook I assume she's a Facebook live streamer or a YouTube live streamer and she's on the Zoom chats to talking with her clients and for some reason or other she is really pissed off an ex-client who's the other main character here Karen uh, who is now seeking to troll and stalk Angela and get some sort of emotional revenge for however put out Angela has made Karen feel. So, I mean, no. 
Yeah, go on. I was going to say, Karen begins to pursue uh, an escalating regime of inconspicuous harassment. You know, she's sneaking around and making, starting to make life hell for Angela, as Angela is doing a live stream of a haunting. Anyway, Richard, do you want to join in here? No, I was just going to say, this movie is billed, I suppose, as a found footage piece. Kind of, yeah. But it's not really found footage, is it? It's more like streamed footage. The idea behind the film is, as you say, both of these characters are heavily onto um, social media. Because of lockdown, presumably. Or, well, partly. More. But I think Angela is probably doing it career wise. Career wise, but lockdown has helped, probably. Don't really know why Karen's doing it other than the normal reason people do, like, social media, which is, I don't know, just to vent their frustrations or something. So Angela is streaming to a bunch of fans who presumably are all wanting to see her do spiritual medium type things and see ghosts. She's quite good, you know. If you're like kind of Karen stuff. is uh, Karen is doing it to who knows who, whoever fans she has or friends, and she's showing off how she's trolling Angela basically, and they're both always on the phone. You know, always doing selfies. Now, and... I really like this. I thought this was quite inspired the way this was shot because you often get the two of them uh, and yeah. one is watching the other one's live stream and he's commenting on it. Or yeah. they're both in the same place but different camera angles. I liked it. It was like watching the movie with somebody sat next to you on the, on the sofa. It's kind of like, you know, when, when Karen yeah, was trolling. I'll give this movie credit, yeah, for, for all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, kind of it's a new way of presenting yeah. it. And not easy to do technically if you think, you know, you've got to coordinate those supposed live streams or Zoom chats to to intermesh like that. I thought it was quite technically quite quite a good achievement that how they did that, to be honest with you. And, and you've got, of course, like on a Facebook Live thing, you've got all those little emoticons floating yeah. up, you know, when people are clicking like. So you get the impression that there's a load of people watching perhaps an unrealistically large number of people watching, but it gives that impression. Do you think the act- actors were actually holding the phones and taking the videos? Oh, probably not, I don't think. I don't know what you think about that. It, it, was, it seemed fairly authentically shaky cam and, you know, yeah. close-ups. You know, I know we've talked about fan footage several times before and oh. maybe people are bored still about it, but I think it's a really interesting format and I've often said how I I appreciate fan footage and the way they keep up the, the keyfabe, they don't break it. And they don't in this movie. You know, it's filmed that way from beginning to end. There's no bit where you snap out of it and you're, you know, watching a normal film anymore. It's all done through that medium. So I give that credit. Obviously... To, to achieve that, at times, they have to stretch credibility quite thin, don't they? You know, s- some of them seem to have more than one camera on, you know, running at the same time, I think. And yeah, there's some they, point with three of three of Angela pop up. Yeah. yeah. And at other times, you know, obviously they're always ready to get the camera out and film whatever is happening at that moment. Both of the actors in these roles, they're, they're being asked to do a lot, aren't they? Because yeah. both of them are going to be on the camera absolutely all the time in unflattering close-up you know from poor angles in bad lighting i think it's quite a a vulnerable thing for them to do and actually difficult to pull off like carrying that the baggage of the emotional drama and the stuff that they're doing i was a bit put off by karen's initial kind of she went very big very 
very early. The first yeah, the, the facial mannerisms are quite ex- she's, exaggerated. She's kind it? of like it's like she's almost playing an out of work actor herself, or that kind of thing. She felt like she felt like a very enthusiastic art teacher. <laughs> yeah, she felt. Do you remember Militant from Viz comic? Yes. Yeah. It's like you get the sense that this is quite a bitter person. I think she does it quite well, but somebody who used to work in the arts, you know, she's lipsticked up. Her expressions are very artistic. And that's yes, because I yeah. think she's taken that decision to say, hey, you know, Karen, it's obvious where Karen lives. She lives in quite a swanky house that she's made money before, but she's obviously not in business. So we have to assume, you know, she's had a good life in the arts or marketing or particularly advertising, you know, a creative field. And so I think the actor recreates that quite well and uses it, that kind of the expressive side of Karen, to be able to have, you know, strong facial mannerisms and reactions to the close-ups. I, I think it is annoying it to be with, but I think it kind of carries in the end because... It grew on me. No, it, she did grow on me. accept the kind of person yeah. she is, and, I, and a lot of the facial mannerisms help convey that, I think. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Once I got used to it, it's just that initially it yeah. felt a bit amdram, didn't it? But, you know, uh, I recognised straight away also that it was a difficult job. So, sorry, I was going to God, you finished, Richard, sorry. I was just going to say, uh, you know, Angela, on the other hand, is much... I think your sympathies are supposed to be with Angela. Yeah, with Angela, definitely. Um, and she is less angry. Sorry, excuse me. She's less angry. And more likeable, perhaps more sympathetic. I did notice she always seemed to wear mascara at all hours of the day and night. Whenever whenever she woke up in the middle of the night with, you know, a bump in the night in the haunted house, she she already had a mascara applied. But, uh, yeah, uh, so I, I think it was a less, less vulnerable position for the actor there. So, Angela is kind of a newage kind of person, yeah? She's a Sheila, if you want to use it in the yes. 80s terminology. She's a newage, she's a medium... And guess what? She's really pissed off Karen. It turns out later it transpires that Karen has had some financial trouble. She went to see Angela, got a reading from her. And Angela said, hey, I think you you got some investments. Go with them. And then Karen lost all the money. So this is the backstory to why Karen wants to get her revenge. But anyway, Angela has moved on from this. She's got many clients. And we're watching a live stream as she's moving in to sleep over in a haunted house, which is owned by Terry. And apparently his renters have moved out because it's just too scary, that kind of thing, yeah? So expect the usual things in haunted movies, which is creaky doors, cellars, attics, sleepovers alone in a scary scary room, and scary dolls, freaky dolls. You know, we get those five tropes, and they appear. And that's pretty much... All that appears in the movie. Oh, and of course, maybe a ghost or two. Yeah. Now, as usual, I'm going to have a problem with this movie because it doesn't know. It doesn't know whether it's depicting the supernatural as real, or the figment of Karen's trolling. Or do you? Uh, is it? Is it made completely obvious early on? I do, well, I think to start off with, uh, I mean, it's made pretty clear that Karen, you know, tells us to Cameron, you know, she's going to start trolling this lady and it's going to be escalatory. So first of all, it's going to be, what is it, phone calls? Yeah, she makes, then yeah, phone calls. Pen letters, yeah. you know, cut out from yeah. the newspaper. You know, at some point in the very near future, yeah. 
the only reason anyone will ever buy a printed newspaper is so they can cut it out for a kidnap letter or a <laughs> threatening letter or a bribery. Well, I, I she had a four-step. I can't remember what they were. One, it was phone calls. Two was uh, the letters. Three was what? Three was... Going in and messing everything up. Like she uh, turns all the cushions over and opens the door and stuff. Online abuse. She definitely does that. No, three was online <laughs> abuse. And four okay. was going in there and messing with her mind. Oh, she actually has a whiteboard. She has a whiteboard behind her and she's explaining it. a four-step plan. Yeah. <laughs> Written down like, like any normal person would do. So at this point, we're starting to think, hey, there's something a bit wrong with Karen. You know, she's taking this vengeance a bit far, you know, troll by all means, but don't write it on a whiteboard. I mean, also, premeditation. I mean, if this gets to a legal situation, she's in trouble with that whiteboard, isn't she? <laughs> you want to be able to cover your tracks. But anyway, so the final step is, of course, getting in there and messing with Angela's mind by faking a haunting and just proving to everybody what a fraud Angela is. And I think at this point, we can see that the movie could potentially go four or five different ways. Yeah? Yes. What, no, you see, your, what was your guess? Which way, which way did you think it was going to go, Richard? At this point, early on. Well, the way I wanted it to go, the way I wanted yeah. it to go is, you know, a, a sceptical Karen exposes Angela as a fraudulent medium. That was never going to happen, was it? <laughs> yeah, I didn't think it was going to happen. That's what I wanted to happen. I was disappointed. At that Because quite early on, Angela is in the haunted house. Doing a stream. And Karen has done something trivial, you know, like uh, give the phone call probably or something. Now, it, now she's sorry very to stop, bad at can, making those. Can I just stop you a second? Okay, there's an important thing that happened is that K- Karen finds out that the, uh, the 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 haunted house is both near to where she lives and near to where Angela lives, and goes around there and finds a key to the house by accident. That's right. So, so that's she critical. Can get she can get it. But yes. sorry, back to what you were saying. So she's making phone calls and they're pretty crap, aren't they? Yeah, she doesn't really know how to make a, a threatening or harassing phone call, does she? No. I mean, she just rings once and then doesn't speak and then laughs or something and hangs up. Uh, and later <laughs> she, she gets, gets a voice like, changer. Yeah, she gets a voice changer. And also but but Angela a, knows who it is straight away and says a name. <laughs> but she also gets a CB radio of some sort and puts a speaker up in she the She puts attic. a walkie-talkie in. That's much cleverer. That's yeah, much right. cleverer. You know? so, she, so her ways of spooking her out, the, the final steps, were pretty scary, I think. you know. But the thing is, Angela's not spooked by anything because she wants to see a ghost. So when yeah, she really likes happen, a ghost. Yeah. She goes, ooh, ooh, this is great. This is really good. <laughs> so I think we're supposed to, at this point, you know, after about 20 or 30 minutes, we're supposed to assume, and all the way through to the end, that Angela wasn't, although her advice did cause Karen to lose money, she didn't intend that to happen. And that, deluded or not, she really does think she's communing with the spirit. She's not just doing it whilst the camera's on kind of thing. Isn't that what we're supposed to conclude? Well, both of these people are doolally, right? Yeah. Obviously, someone who thinks they're a medium is crazy. But somebody who now is proposing to be a sceptic but when the chips were down, thought that the best place to go for financial advice was go to a spirit medium. <laughs> and presumably she was advised to short GameStop stock, wasn't she? Yeah. That's presumably how she's got into financial trouble. Although this is supposed to... I think at the start of the film they say this was taking place in 2019. But I guess towards the end, because they obviously already knew about COVID, didn't they? 
Yeah, well, COVID's mentioned, I think, once or twice, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Angela has a, th- a note on the door saying, don't forget your mask. Karen's always wearing a mask between... Or is she? Well, Angela's certainly wearing a mask outside, anyway. So, anyway, so... Andrew is settling down for a, for a, for an evening for the first evening of live stream uh, on Facebook or whatever. And like I say, I've become addicted to Facebook live streams this past year. Nigerian Baptist preachers, California dope dealers, that kind of stuff. I'm just addicted to it all. Paul, you want to get into Reddit live streams? I told you. I but showed not, you Noodle they're not video, Man. They're not video based, are they? They are. I, did you not see Noodle Man? Yes, I did. You did see Noodle Man. Did you not enjoy it? I did. There you go. It's much easier. Really? Reddit? Are you going to be recommending 9gag and 4chan and 8chan next? Look, the thing Reddit's about Reddit is... into that territory, isn't it? It's some subreddits are bad and some subreddits are good. So, you know, they're moderated. Some depends who the moderators are. Oh, okay. And the, the live stuff is generally very good. There's great musicians... And there's Noodleman. Yeah, Mark Zuckerberg. Go do one. Anyway, so, so, but this film quickly resolves, resolves itself into the case of the growling, moving sleeping bag. <laughs> so I don't know if it's the first night that she stays over, but, uh, but, but what? Oh, no, she moves in there. And wow, there's, there are plastic covers on the furniture and she takes the covers off. And they're not dusty. How not scary is that? The furniture is brand new. How not scary is that? So it doesn't bode well. She moves in in broad daylight. So how not scary is that? So it wasn't really scary to start off, start off with. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that is a choice born out of budgetary concerns? Yeah. That they're just yeah. using. But it does quickly become a little bit creepy because she discovers. Some creepy puppets about ten or fifteen minutes in, and then yeah, a whole a whole load of them. There's an entire rack yeah. of marionettes, and that's a little bit scary, including a very large and unpleasant clown, <laughs> your traditional scary puppet doll thing. So then, so then she's she's streaming, and she says, "Ah, uh, he. I th- I don't know who he is, but he slept here, presumably." The guy who's died or whatever, or whoever's supposed to be the ghost. Wow, show me your energies. She talks about energies a lot. Cue a sleeping bag with what appears to be a tent peg erection. You know, this is very excited. <laughs> Are the energies of the ghost excited to see her? I don't, I don't know, but there's a sleeping bag on the, on the chair that's sort of sticking up in funny places. Anyway. So there we go. No, well, it looks like a person, doesn't it? Just sitting in the sleeping bag, oh, zipped up over there. I see. Well, it probably was a person in the sleeping bag. I think it almost certainly was a person in the sleeping bag, yeah. But then she goes away from that view, looks at something else, she comes back, and then the sleeping bag is back to back. just lying there. Back empty. to normal. Back to normal. Yeah. And then she gets phone calls from Karen. She gets a letter from Karen. I think it's after the first letter that Karen lets herself into... The haunted house, is that right? Yeah, and she messes everything up. Oh, she's really clever. And she's very good at getting away just before Angela gets back. I'm not sure how she does that. Well, it's obviously scripted, but I can't remember the details of how it happened. (laughs) But it's good, isn't it, though? They do it split screen, so you're seeing Karen mucking around. And then you'll see Angela doing something else or coming back or whatever, or speaking on the live stream. And then, you know... There'll be moments where it's just one of them, and then there'll be other moments where you're seeing both what both of them are doing. It's it's good. So then we find out more about Karen's backstory. Is you know on the advice she was having a mortgage holiday 
She'd already run into financial troubles. She was desperate. And Angel's advice made her lose everything. And now she's got debt collectors and bailiffs at the door. So she says, yeah. Uh, on the second day of live streaming, live streaming, Angela's like, hey, viewers, have you seen these orbs? Now, of course, orbs refer to, I'm assuming, a speck of dusts that are close to the camera lens. Is that right? Ah, yeah. That orbs is, it's a really interesting story about orbs, isn't it? Spiritualism and photography have gone hand in hand since the earliest yeah. days of photography. Prior to photography, the idea that a spirit was kind of translucent, I don't think was a real thing. Really? Most ghost stories, most traditional ghost stories would talk of seeing, you know, a lady at the top of the stairs or a monk or whatever, but they would never say that you could see through them or anything. You know, they would... No, it was they just wouldn't. like meeting someone. No, yeah. If, if a loved one had passed away that night, or died that night, I do hate that euphemism. But if a loved one had died, you know, that night, and you said, "Oh, I, I, they came to me in my bedroom or something," you don't say, "And I knew they were a ghost because I could see through them." You thought that they were there. Yes. It only transpires that they couldn't be there because they had died or something, you know. So the idea of a see-through ghost is a product of photography, you know, the turn of the century, ah. double exposure, being able to take a, an image of, you know, a church doorway and then take an image of a monk somewhere else on the same plate. And, you know, one looks translucent. You know, you can see through the image to the other image because it's double exposed. And that generates this idea that you know gets replicated again and again in photography, either deliberately or accidentally over the years, and sets up all of those unexplained books, you know, of ghost pictures, which all look like they're double exposed photographs. <laughs> but then come the digital era, and we don't see translucent ghosts anymore, basically, unless uh. they're reflected in the window, because you can't double expose a digital camera. So that kind of ghost is gone. <laughs> But orbs still exist. This is the thing, isn't it? Compact cameras get smaller and smaller. Right? Yeah. You know, an old-fashioned camera, even the mini camera that my mum used to have, yeah. which was one of those little cassettes of film, you know, the little... I know the um, ones, yeah, yeah, yeah. The small format, not 36mm, were they 24 or something? That's right, yeah. But they came with a flash, and it was like, I think it had like, like four bulbs you could turn around on the top. Ah, right. But you put a stack of batteries... Uh, in a little case on the shoe and the flash on top so it was separated from the lens and even you know and if you bought an slr camera you'd have quite a big flash gun wouldn't you and it have a 90 degree angle but all of them were separated from the lens this is the key thing flashes have distance from the lens yeah but then you get the invention of compact cameras where even in film format but later in digital format you know it it's about this big, no bigger than your palm. Yes. And it's got a lens in the middle, and it's got the flash built in. And when you put the flash so close to the lens, the beam of light intersects with the focal vision of the of the lens. Yeah. So that specks of dust quite close to the lens yeah. get suddenly illuminated via very bright light. I see. And that's what an orb is. And orbs came with the compact camera era. So now the little camera that all the psychic investigators can carry around and just, you know, point in a dark corner and just press the button, the flash goes off. They get orbs. And these old dusty rooms <laughs> that they're wafting around in, having, you know, no one lived in them for years. So you get dust in the air and you get dust particles right close to the lens being illuminated in bright rooms. And that's what orbs are. 
So again, a product entirely of the, of the technology. They didn't exist before people started putting flashes, really bright flashes, right next to, right next to the lens of compact cameras. But yeah, she's taking pictures with orbs. In so in the digital era, what kind of ghosts does these does the cinematography allow us to discover? Uh, ah, well, apart from orbs, there's another thing phenomena for vid- video, digital video called yeah. rods. Oh. And rods are these like snake-like creatures that that fly through the air, invisible to the naked eye, but on video, ah. they emerge miraculously out of thin air. And they are, of course, insects, which have been you know modified by the rolling shutter and the speed of the exposure into these long, snaky objects with many <laughs> wings down them, called rods. Yeah, they're the modern video equivalent of of ghost photography. So rods and orbs. So anyway, that's what Karen's. That's what sorry, Angela is seeing in the house. And nothing particularly scary has happened. Except for a person in a sleeping bag. But at this point, no, I think at this point, for me, I, I thought Karen had the key at that point. Well, she said, we know she has she the did. key pretty early on, you see. So I just assumed yeah. that it was Karen messing around. She'd already been in there and started her stage four early. I just got mixed up in the story. So I didn't really understand that maybe there, there was supposed to be something scary in there. But that's pretty hardcore for Karen at that point, isn't it? To get into a sleeping bag and to wait for Angela to fly. Yeah, I, I didn't think so, she was thinking that through. No. So we're expected <laughs> to. So this is a real supernatural event that we're seeing. Yes, we are. We're seeing a real supernatural event in a sleeping bag. Okay. So then the entity, well, Karen sees the entity somewhere in the house. She captures it on camera, doesn't she? She's she taking does. a selfie video. And something appears behind her. It's in the stairwell to the cellar, yes. It looks like someone wearing one of those plastic dust sheets that was on on the furniture. Yes. I don't know. And then the entity talks to her. She goes down into the cellar, doesn't she, and senses its presence. Yes. But then later, of course, Angela has sneaked into the house and inserted a walkie-talkie upstairs. Karen. Karen Sorry. Karen has sneaked into the house, inserted a walkie-talkie upstairs, that late at night she can stand outside and send spooky messages through. And she does this effectively at one point. I think it's about two or three nights in and, and terrifies and terrifies Angela. But then as she's doing it, somehow the me- the the walkie-talkie receiver she's holding starts squealing. She runs away. The walkie-talkie upstairs is possessed by the entity and starts talking to Angela. And tells her to go to the cellar, you see. I couldn't make head or tail of what that damn walkie-talkie was saying. But she can. She went straight to the cellar. And she went down there and was like, Oh gosh, it's all really scary down here. I think I'm going to stay down here. I love it. <laughs> She's made for this job. She loves it. This is it. You know, Karen's attempts to scare her are pointless. Because she, she likes everything that happens. Even the actually supernatural bits that are much scarier than anything Karen managed. At this to do. point, I thought what was what the movie was heading to was it's all Terry, the guy who owns the owns the apartment. You see, again, I'm always clinging to this idea that you know, with sort of mythological naturalism, that there must be an explanation. So that obviously it's somebody else playing a trick on her. Yeah, but there aren't that many other characters that are fleshed out or could really fulfil that role, are there? We only see one other character, Terry, speak. Uh, there's one of the characters who's supposedly a debt collector. But what I'm saying is, like, I mean, how much does it cost to put those little tiny cameras throughout your house? You know, the little, you know, the, the GoPros. No, the tiny ones. They're kind of like fiber, fiber optic thin. You can put them anywhere. Apparently, you know, you can get like 
2 megapixel, 4 megapixel quality. Yeah? And you can just put these throughout your house. I, so Terry knows they're both in there and he's just dressing up and he knows where they are because he's got cameras all over the place. He's probably got a few escaped little hatches and he's just scaring the crap out of both. Because, shock horror, plot spoiler, guess what? What? Karen comes in again and she gets, she sees the bloody entity, doesn't she? She only goes and sees the entity and runs away and gets scared and whatnot. What does she see, though? I can't remember what she sees. She sees a sleeping bag, I think. Walking hmm. sleeping bag. I'm not sure. But she runs away the right. first time. She runs away the first time. And she don't want to go back. It's got to be said, this must be one of the most frightening sleeping bags in all of movie history. Do you know what? I found this movie pretty scary. The tension built quite well for me. The moments, you know, is it going to appear? What's it going to be? I quite liked it in terms of scare factor. It's because it's one of the very few movies that I've ever seen where the setting is like everyday setting for me. It's like a normal British street. Mm -hmm. More so than almost any other... I suppose there's a bit at the start of Harry Potter where they're in Privet Drive with the Dursleys that looks a bit ordinary. Like, uh, you know, sex education, that thing that we were discussing one time. Uh They all live in amazing like architectural wonder houses that I've never very rarely seen anyone living in. This is an ordinary street in Nottingham, in Sherwood. That's and that makes it scarier, doesn't it? Because it connects it to the everyday for you. It does actually does make it scary. Possibly, yeah. Well it's the fact that those cellar steps look so real, you know. Ah yeah, never lived in a house with a cellar though. At this point of course they're all going down the cellar. I think I think Angela spends a night down there, yeah, and gets... How? She lost her sleeping bag for several days, it, pe- it appeared. I don't know, but she spends a night down there. Because, oh, the entity tells her to go down there. She spends a night down there. She starts talking to it. It says somebody's going to die. She runs away. It does runs... say that somebody's going to die. She runs right. back upstairs, yeah. Then, of course, it's got to the point where Karen is breaking in and doing her scare stuff. So for some reason she breaks in. She's broken in several times. It's always quite exciting because of the double cam thing. We know that some. We know that Angela's going to get back home or is already in the house whilst Karen's breaking in. But this time she doesn't break in, Paul. She's got a key. She's got a key. She just. Sorry, I'm sorry. But anyway, this time for some she's reason she's trespassing. Let's just say she's trespassing. For some reason she's caught unawares. I mean, Angela comes back too quickly or something or Angela knows that she's in there. She's heard a noise, she thinks it's the entity. She comes running down. And what does Karen do? She locks herself in the cellar. Yeah. No, she doesn't lock herself in. She goes in the cellar she to goes hide. In the cellar, yeah. And Angela goes over and locks the cellar door because she's convinced it's the entity, yeah? And, and that locking the door would help. And she says, I'm going to lock well, that I guess thing. if he's wearing a sleeping bag, there's no way it can get out. Well, yeah. You know, if it's a, a being from another dimension, of course the lock's going to stop it getting out of there. <laughs> but, but she locks the cellar and says, whatever's in there is staying in there tonight. Poor, poor Karen. Because, of course, you know what's going to happen now. Yeah, what, what does happen? She go, Does she go down into the cellar? She does, Or she yeah. says she sees something out there. Well, she's on the cellar steps. And then she calls her help. She calls her help, doesn't she? And Angela... Does Angela come down and let her out? Well, let's. I mean, she calls for help because she's getting possessed by the by the by the entity. She just calls for help. Angela stupidly opens the door. Karen appears, possessed, rather zombie-like. Oh, that's right. Oh, yes, that's right. Yeah, that was quite well done, actually. She was quite weird about that. Yeah. Now, at this point, somebody calls the ambulance, takes her away, and she survives. That's Karen. Yeah. And then Angela realizes. If the entity said someone was going to die, and it's not Karen, it must be her. Cue screams. Cue end of movie. 
Right. Well, there we got there, didn't we? Wow. Thank God we got there eventually. So that I'm was glad the movie. You de- demystified the end for me a bit there. But that's that's good. Yeah. Now, my thought it was all Terry, but obviously it's not all Terry. The movie went the most predictable way that I thought it would go, which is, haha, you're here to debunk ghosts. Ghosts actually exist. You're gonna get it in the neck. The little twist was, Karen did get in the neck, but then got it out of the neck, and it went <laughs> into the neck of uh, of Angela, and Angela died in the end. So yeah, but apart from the little twist, it kind of went the most predictable direction you could imagine for turning tables. Yeah, and and also we missed mentioning the other kind of stereotypical hackneyed point, which was the bit where the puppet. Is at the top of the stairs. Yeah, does the puppet move? It does, it does. They look up the... St- I think it's Angela looks up, up to the top of the stairs. The puppet is there at the top of the stairs. Yeah. And then it kind of whips away. And she goes upstairs and it's just lying on the... Inanimate. On the chair. Toy Story kind of stuff, yeah. So, uh, yeah. Now, it, in the early parts, I think there's a part where... It, the first time that Karen breaks in, she does move some stuff anyway, doesn't she? But... After that, it's fairly clear that this is all paranormal activity. Yeah. If we discount the Terry theory, that it's Terry the, la- the landlord, I don't think it is, then we have to accept as, as, as viewers that this is all paranormal activity. And that's quite a big ask, I think. But it does stop it being scary. I have to say again, I th- it was it was really scary, this movie, for me. I don't know if it was for you, Richard. I, I liked it. It was... I, I like the heart of this movie. I, I, I admire it for a lot of little things. Yeah. I like the way that they keep it... They keep the whole pretense of the uh, streamed footage thing going through from beginning yeah. to end. It was slightly creepy, slightly scary. I, I think I'm very rarely going to be... You're going to have to do it really well to hook me on a proper supernatural thing. Because, you know, my threshold of credulity is so high for that. So, you know, I just don't believe in a ghost wearing a sleeping bag. But it is weird. It is weird to see it. And if that was a person, that's even weirder, right? Yeah, I mean, I think until about two-thirds through the movie, I was still I was still accepting a theory that it might just be a crazy person in a sleeping bag, you see. And, and, yeah. and, and you know, a crazy person hanging out in your house is, is still... It's still Terrifying. scary, you know. Absolutely. But I thought some of the shots, you know, the use of the cellar stairs, the use of shadows and the suggestion of images of something you can't quite see, I thought that was quite well done. I mean, this is a budget of nothing at all, right? Oh, right, okay. It, well, it must be, mustn't it? I mean, what are we yeah, seeing? Yeah, three actors. A couple of iPhone cameras and, yeah, three actors and someone's Two house. Two still in the script, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, fair play if, there, if there even was a script, I got the sense that this was probably improv. Improvised. Improv, did you think? Because a lot of the... So a plot line, but no script, yeah. Yeah, I imagine they were told what they had to say, but not what what to say, you know, if you yeah, see what I mean. how to say it, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. it seemed to be extemporised quite a lot, didn't it? There were umming and ahhing, and it, stuff that was probably quite difficult to script out, I would have thought. It, it seemed like the act, actors were doing a lot of the work, you know, including the camera work, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> On the job. Interestingly, I looked up the director of this film. Yeah. And he's called Richard Mansfield. Where did you find this information? Surely not Wikipedia. IMDb or something, yeah. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Not Wikipedia, IMDb, I think. So he's got a bunch of other films. I think he's done this. I haven't seen the others. I haven't tried yet looking. He's done he's this got before. A bunch of he's others. a repeat offender, yeah? I think he's made the same idea more than once. Certainly, he's done like this haunted house film before. 
There's like one called House in Mansfield or something, or Mansfield Street or something like that, which I think is supposed to be this house. I think there's a prequel where the guys who are supposedly renting this place and abandoned it or whatever. Ah, I think that's what it might be about. There's a whole universe of... Yeah. Of paranormal live Facebook live streams. There seem to be two... I don't know whether they're all doing the same kind of live stream stuff. I haven't looked into them yet. But there seem to be two or three of the same subject matter. Basically a house in Nottingham, a haunted house in Nottingham. But you've also got several kind of uh, gay romance stories or gay drama stories as well. Weird. So look, British filmmaker doing something quite innovative here. It's kind of endearing. Did it did it not raise your hackles the kind of the way it kind of sided with ghosts are real? Because yeah, I mean, in a ghost story does. where there's in a ghost story where there is a skeptic character, we can all accept it as a bit of fantasy fun, yeah. But here, yeah. Yeah. we've got Karen being skeptical, and the film is quite clearly saying, "Hey, the ghosts exist." You know, did they not raise your hackles, Richard? Wasn't all quite annoying for you? given what I know yeah, about your feelings yeah. about these things. It, uh, it, of course, but, you know, I know what I'm in for when I'm going to supernatural horror, don't I? But what I mean is, you know, the, the Omen, for example, there's, there's no suggestion that this is real. You know, it's just presented as supernatural fiction, yeah? Whereas here, yeah. we, we've got a sceptic character in there who's doubting stuff. So it's kind of different, yeah. isn't it? They kind of... Here we're supposed to debate internally, I think. We're supposed to have internal dialogue, you know. Ooh, do you think, do you think ghosts exist? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, actually, they do. I think, you know, there's a, there's an idea of pushing a belief in paranormal activity as it's represented in popular yeah. culture. And also, it's a bit annoying, isn't we're, it? We're being manipulated to empathise with Angela quite yes. a lot. Whereas, really, she's a, a psychic medium, which is shorthand for a con artist, basically, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I don't like that. So, if you look at his filmography, he's got something called The, the Demonic Doll. I wonder what that's about. Wow. He's got a film called The House on Mansfield Street. Oh. <laughs> and then the previous one to this He also one, names his movies in the same kind of way. It's his name. He's called Richard Mansfield. Uh. The one immediately prior to this is The Investigation, A Haunting in Sherwood. Ah, uh, so another in-town name for a movie. So we've got on a st- something on a street name for a movie and something in a town name for a movie and he's done that three times now well done good and he's done lots of gay romance you say too well I say lots of I don't know about that I think horror gay romance would be a good idea we haven't seen much of that have we there's one called The Secret I think it is actually a horror one at least one of them there's one called The Secret Path and one called The Secret Kiss Ray is a loner until he meets a mysterious Paul whilst exploring the woods a place he can see in his dreams as their Whoa. love deepens, Ray begins to suspect that Paul may not be who he seems. I don't know. I don't know whether that's supernatural. I, or I see this guy, you know, we might see more of him because I think just reading that synopsis, you know, it, it's kind of like he has a good handle on, on scare, I think. He has a good uh, handle on just in this movie in particular, it's he doesn't go full on. The use of shadows. No. And, Agreed. You know, really nicely done. I think he built it quite well. And, you know, she spends, and he builds attention by her spending some nights up there in the attic and nothing appears. And I think he's got a really nice sense of the rhythm of scare. Yeah. I, I hope to see more from him. Which means, I think it's time to score, is it not? The scores. Let's do acting. Well, I thought two actors, actresses carried this really well. Like I say, I have to agree with you, Karen, 
and her lippy mannerisms I felt was a bit too much. But then I grew into it and... Yeah. I found myself being quite attracted to her at, Did you? during the film. I don't, but she, she's very engaging, I think, ultimately. But she's a bit mad. She's a bit wide-eyed and crazed, isn't she, ultimately? I've met British females exactly like the both of them. And I don't think those are the actors' yeah, personalities. Yeah, well observed. I, yeah. I, I don't, yeah. Well observed characters and, and well developed, you know. I've really met dark-haired, short dark-haired kind of liberal arts graduates who've gone into the cinema and are quite ditzy, but not not dippy, but also quite yeah. quite opinionated and quite forthright, and a little quite bit intense. out of kilter yeah. and a little bit out of balance. <laughs> I've met those girls before in in Britain, you know. So I thought I'm going to have to get acting eight. I think. What do you think, Richard? Not quite that good. Well, I think I'll go for seven. I'll go for seven. Play, but you yeah. know, bearing in mind, they're probably doing a lot of the work. <laughs> Now, what about the plot? What about the plot and scripting? Plot and scripting. Okay, so you're saying complimentary things about his handling of the tension. Yeah. I suppose that's true. Bit hackneyed, though, isn't it? You know, yeah. scary doll, yeah, yeah, haunted yeah, house. Yeah, 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 yeah. Innovative style, though. I don't know. Is that scripting or is that more special effects? I don't know. Mm, I don't or know. technique. Difficult. Put it, put it where you want to, really, that box. <laughs> I'll go six overall. Script, I'm going to go six two. Formulaic at times, definitely. Could we foresee the outcome? Definitely. Of the foreseeable outcomes, did they choose the most crowd-pleasing of them? Yes, they did. I think it has to downscore for those reasons. At the same time, a novel format, I really don't think anybody's done the format as well as he has. Uh, split screen, two people in different in different geographies reacting to each other's live streams. Great, I loved it. Not easy to do, so a six for me too. Okay, on to Jump Factor, Richard. Oh, I'd say a little bit creepy. Did it creep you up a little bit? A little bit, yeah. yeah you know, the stuff. Good. The grainy footage of sleeping bags with people in, the occasional glimpse of something. You know, I had to rewind to see some of the bits. I like those bits in some of those horror movies. So, I mean, it didn't make me jump. There were no out and out jump scares. I suppose Karen was creepy at the end. It's worth a seven, this, I think. For wow. High praise, indeed. I'm going to give it eight. It did... My skin did crawl once or twice. So, for me, that's that's value for money. Special effects? Is that... Yeah, an action, I guess. Special effects and action. I, I think the technique of filming, it comes into this. Yeah. And for that reason, you know, the whole split-screeny, streamy, found footage-esque, keyfabe, that all must get an eight, definitely. Whoa. I'm going to go six on this a little bit lower uh, and not say very much about it just give you the score six okay final score Richard what do you think about this for everything that I've said it's very low budget it's above average I'd recommend seeing it but it's not brilliant so I'm going to go six overall yeah okay so you've gone an anti-gestalt there with your scores you've scored it slightly lower <laughs> average but you're, you're free to do that look I want to see more from this director I really liked this I'm gonna score it a 7.5 and a definite recommend from me which is interesting oh, right. because it scored an average of 3.5 on IMDB but I guess that's an American audience and I think this really you'll benefit from being British to watch this I think rather than anything else 3.3 on IMDb. Yeah, yeah. gosh, out, wow. Out of no, 10. it's much better than that. It, it generally is, it a is much, much better than much better movie than that. Yeah, yeah. So I recommend for me. I think we'll see more from this guy. Last week we watched a big. Yeah, well, I don't know how. It wasn't a blockbuster, was it? But no. it was a Hollywood, LA-based 
COVID-related um, film. It was a struggle to get through. This wasn't, you know. Yeah. I, I, I this, watched absolutely this right. with interest and it held my attention. I can, I can see an argument that if you'd gone to the cinema and seen this, you might be disappointed. Yeah. I, this would work well as, as a YouTube piece or something, you know. It's good streaming stuff. Yeah, I'm not sure it's worth $11 in, in a theatre or that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's worth something. It's definitely worth two ninety nine at home. Yeah, interesting. Well, we disagree with the general public on the IMDb definitely. service. What we... All right, Paul, how about next week? Now, I'm going to give you two options. Give me two me. choices. Go on. Hit I could give you best. three. I'll give you two. You can either go for Creep. 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 Is that found footage? Which is footage? another found footage. It is found or... footage. And it's creepy. Or you can go for Sinister, which ah. is not a found footage, but it is a haunted house. So Creep is creepy. Is Sinister Sinister? I think it is quite Sinister. And maybe Sinister is creepy and Creep is Sinister. Now, of these movies, <laughs> Creep is more like the movie we just watched in that it Whoa. feels more low budget. Sinister is a proper production, you know, it's a big movie, Ethan Hawke stars. So it's Creep, which is creepy, Sinister, which is sinister, and you say that Creep is indeed rather like the movie we've just watched, Yeah, Sinister's what? A haunted house movie? Is it like any movie that I might have seen? We watched The Conjuring, right? The Conjuring was, we said it was like trying to recreate this the 1970s haunted house film. Yeah. Like, Poltergeist or like The Exorcist or something. Whereas Sinister is a modern day new horror haunted house movie. Oh. Well, I'm going to go for Sinister because I, I like the sound of that. All right. Sinister it is then. Yeah. Next week. Thank you for listening to Drive By Cinema. And here comes the music in three. In three, two, two and one. one. Thank you.